And do turn with me this morning to Psalm uh, 42. Take a little break from our series to the Gospel of Mark. Read Psalm 42 together this morning. This is God's holy and foul the word. Give it careful attention as it's read this morning. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep with the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Week after week, uh, we read and uh, I preach uh, of the blessings, the benefits of salvation in Christ, uh, a relationship with God, that it gives us purpose and guidance and joy and confidence and satisfaction. All these things are found in God and our relationship with Him. We firmly believe that, and I trust each of us has experienced that. But it doesn't mean that we always feel that. It's not always our experience. The Psalms generally give us an honest look at the range of human experience and emotions and struggles. Um, You've seen that in Psalm 42, what we just read. In in today's language, what Psalm 42 describes could um, hardly be called anything but depression, even despair. We all experience sorrow and disappointment and so on. Uh, Some of you have struggled with, some of you perhaps do struggle with, uh, lasting daily sorrow, depression, even despair, as the psalmist describes here. One of the first encouragements of this psalm, a psalm like this, is that you're not alone in that. You're not alone in that as as a believer in Christ. You're not a lesser believer uh, here's writing this, this psalm is one of the temple songwriters, one of the sons of Korah, uh, a, a godly man who's gifted and appointed to write psalms for God's people to sing, uh, appointed by the king to do this at the temple, uh, and he's sunk in deep depression. Uh, part of the lesson there is that you're not alone. We, we read David in the same kind of condition in other psalms as well. 
uh, we read uh, of the prophets, uh, especially Jeremiah. Again, godly men appointed to speak God's word for him. And yet suffering times of, of deep despair. Listen to Jeremiah in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 20. He says every time that he speaks, he cries. Uh, he, he can't endure this any longer. He ends that, that section with this. Cursed be the day I was born. Cursed be the man who brought news to my father saying, A baby boy has been born to you because he didn't kill me before my birth. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow and see my days filled with shame? Again, part of the lesson is that we're not alone. This is part of our human experience. So to whatever degree you have struggled with or do struggle with deep sadness or depression, know that you're not alone. Uh, even the scriptures present this as, as part of our human condition in this fallen world. And yet the scriptures also always make clear that there is hope, that there is and can be comfort and even joy for the people of God. And this psalm, like many of the psalms, points us in that direction. Let's look first, uh, number one on your outline there, just the description of the psalmist's experience here. Um, he describes feeling a distance from God. Uh, verses 1 and 2 end with, When shall I come and appear before God? He's feeling distant from God. He speaks of remembering God as if it's some, there's, there are things in the past that he's not experiencing now. Um, God's not near or present, seemingly. Maybe you can identify with that. Sometimes when God doesn't seem to hear or to answer, there seems to be little connection or relationship with God. It's described maybe most memorably in the first verse, like as, as in comparison with the thirst of a deer. And the imagery of deer is not a deer walking through the woods that thinks, oh, I think it's time for a drink. It's a deer in the desert who can't find a drink. Needs to find a stream to survive. Now, that's the kind of thirsting for God he's expressing. He speaks of being so troubled he can't eat. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Depression often dampens appetite. Something you ordinarily long for and enjoy is not, um, not something you want. Uh, memories bring him pain. Verse 4, uh, these things I remember, I pour out my soul within me. I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. He used to be there leading the crowds coming together at the temple for worship. But it's in the past now. Uh, with a voice of joy and thanksgiving. He remembers a day when joy seemed natural and, and thanksgiving was flowing out of him and he's not feeling that now. Uh, multiple times he describes his, his feeling as despair. Verse 5 Verse 6, that word actually literally means to sink down. Um, think of a, a ship, it can be used of a ship, like a ship sinking. So figuratively, it speaks of your, your spirit sinking. You've, you've lost hope. Uh, he speaks of his soul being disturbed, verse 5. That, that word literally simply means to roar, like a lion roaring. And we can understand how it's used figuratively then, of turmoil, of uh, something raging in you, uh, like a lion, constantly unsettled. 
Uh, verse 7 uh, deep, uh, is, is, has a theme of water. Uh, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. Um, your breakers, your waves have rolled over me. Verses 6 and 7, well, we'll talk about 6 in a moment. Um, he's in the land of the Jordan near Mount Hermon. He's, he's, the psalmist is for some reason in, in the northern part of Israel. Um, uh, near the headwaters of the Jordan, probably picturing the headwaters of the Jordan coming down the mountain here in, in waterfalls. And he uses this as an imagery of, of his, his troubles, keep beating him like waterfalls plunging from pool to pool um, down the rocks. Uh, waves and water are often, they're generally uh, used in the Old Testament as a figure of, of trouble or danger. Um, he says, deep calls to deep, but the deep, the idea of the deep in Hebrew is um, either waters deep out in the ocean, like the unknown waters way down under the ocean, um, or, or the water under the land, right? There wasn't a whole lot known then about groundwater and where it came from and why water was gushing out through certain springs and that sort of thing. But it was still used as a figure of, of trouble, of something that was unknown. And the idea here of deep calling to deep is... There's one body of water calling out to another, and they're, they're ganging up on me. That's what it feels like. And wave after wave is crashing over him, like someone standing in the surf. They can't, they can't stand up. They can't get a breath. This is how he feels. Let's look secondly, then, at what, what maybe led to this despair. What, what can, for us, lead to despair and long struggles with discouragement? Uh, looking at number two on your outline, the psalmist doesn't give a catalog of causes or specific uh, causes to a great degree, but there are clues here. It's worth considering for a moment whether we can discern maybe something about the, the psalmist's setting here. Uh, we really only have guesses, but you notice in the, uh, again in the, the heading of the psalm, uh, it says the song of the sons of Korah. Uh, the sons of Korah were uh, singers, songwriters that were appointed by David. You can read about this in First Chronicles. They were appointed by David to write psalms on his behalf. So David wrote many psalms, but also the sons of Korah and a couple other groups uh, wrote psalms for him as well to be used at the temple. Um, so that's, that's who they were. They, they could be right. This could be a son of Korah writing his own experience. He could also be describing for David one of David's experiences. Um, but whoever it is, he seems to be away from the temple, away from Jerusalem, again, up somewhere in the northern part of Israel, longing to be back at Jerusalem, longing for better days. Um, He's up near Mount Hermon, uh, the surrounding mountains there today. is just The Golan Heights is generally the, the area up there. Uh, it seems likely then the psalmist, whoever, whoever's life it portrays, is, is exiled up there. Right? He's forcibly there. He wants to be at Jerusalem, but he's been taken there for some reason. Um, if it's a, a temple songwriter, um, it could be something like 2 Kings 14. Uh, the northern king, Jehoash, invaded Jerusalem, tore down the walls, and carried a bunch of people away. Up, up to this region, up to Samaria. 
Um, if it's David, some, some scholars actually argue that it's David's experience. It's when Absalom was trying to take the throne from David and chased David and his family out of Jerusalem for a time. They were, they were exiled to, to the northern part of Israel. It was a time of extreme grief and hardship for David. Uh, either way, whatever the circumstances is, I, I think there are two particular causes uh, that we can discern generally here in this psalm. The first is the psalmist's separation from the means of grace. The means of grace, those things that God has given us to exercise a relationship with Him, the, the means by which we know Him and hear of His grace, right? particularly His Word. Right? And uh, prayer, particularly as the, the, the height of the means of grace, is, is being gathered with God's people in worship, in corporate worship that has been for, for thousands of years. Right? And that's, that's what he speaks of, longing for. Being, Of course, he can pray to God wherever he is. He can remember what he knows of God's word, but he longs to be at the temple, to hear the priest teaching God's word and to be praying with God's people and singing with God's people. So he feels a distance from God, figuratively, but it seems he's also, it's a distance geographically, physically, from the means of grace, from, from worship in Jerusalem. And I think an immediate important lesson in that is that you and I cannot be absent from the means of grace and, and expect to grow in godliness and maturity and contentment and, and closeness to God. Just similar to the way you, you can't stay away from food and expect health in your body. We can't stay away from what God has given to us and promise blessing to us through, through His Word through the preaching of His Word, through praying, through the fellowship of believers, through uh, singing praises to Him. Now, the, the psalmist's distance seems to be involuntary, right? He doesn't want to be where he is, but it applies whether it's involuntary or, or negligence or, or whatever the reason is. I, I want you to see also the psalmist's longing is not simply for, for worship or for the means of grace, uh, to be there at the temple and see the sacrifices and hear the proclamation of God's forgiveness. He's not just longing for going through the motions. He's longing for God himself in that. And that needs to be true of you and me as well. You can't separate a desire, a love for God from, from his means of grace and, and vice versa. You can say that you love the Lord, but if you're not using and loving and longing for the things that he's given us to grow in him, um, how can we really love him? Uh, conversely, you can just as easily go through the motions. Right? You can be at worship, you can go through the motions of singing and sitting there and listening and, and not really have a love for God himself or a longing for God himself. And so these, these sources of spiritual declension and stagnation can, again, be either giving lip service to faith or without diligently engaging in prayer, really hearing God in His Word and really, really worshiping Him in song and so on, or just um, going through those motions without a longing for God Himself in them. The, the second cause that we might generally discern from the psalm is, is the taunts of the world. Or we might say more generally, the opinions of other people. Uh, the opinions of others. Verse 3, the psalmist says that others are saying to him, where is your God? And again in verse 10, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Look at you. 
What evidence is of, of, of your, this God that you say you have faith in is there? Look at your life. His sorry condition maybe suggests some inaction or some inability on, on the part of his God. People are saying to him, what, what good is your faith? What good is this God that you profess, given the suffering that you're going through? Maybe the psalmist is starting to wonder whether maybe there's some validity to that. I hear this clearly. It, it's, it's ultimately the lies of the world. Like the, the psalmist is listening to, it's ultimately the lies of the world that lead to depression and lack of hope and lack of despair. That's, that's what is always the case. There, there's no truth and hope and satisfaction apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. The, the world's alternatives are lies that will ultimately disappoint. Right? will ultimately uh, disappoint over and over again. And this is another reason we need to be regularly feeding on the Word of God, reflecting on it deeply. I just want to challenge you with what, what inputs are guiding your thinking, your attitudes, your hope, your joy, your disappointments. What, what inputs are guiding that in your life? We're in an unprecedented age of information, right? It's been called the age of information that we live in, and access to information. We have countless inputs all day long in our life. I, I don't think it's a coincidence entirely that... The, the incidents of anxiety and depression that have skyrocketed in recent decades coincides with the age of information. Uh, you have an unprecedented access, uh, unprecedented exposure to, in, in one sense, the lies of the world, right? the, the despair of the world. Uh, you cannot listen to the lies of the world and, and be unaffected in your soul. Uh, like, like the psalmist here. Listen to the Lord and be encouraged. Make, make time in your day uh, to listen to Him. Um, to block out the noise and, and be strengthened. Um, uh, I also mentioned, it's, I, I don't believe that it's the norm, and it doesn't seem to be the case in this psalm, that depression sometimes has no clear source. Um, Sometimes it's, it's not clear, it's maybe a reaction to some physical illness or something we don't fully understand physically or, or something else, we, we don't understand it. I think usually it has a connection to wrong thinking, uh, but not always. Charles Spurgeon is a, a great example of someone who struggled throughout most of his adult life with depression that he could not explain, could not connect uh, to some kind of particular sadness or, or wrong thinking or lack of faith on his part. So I want to acknowledge that. Charles Spurgeon writes, Causeless depression cannot be reasoned with, nor can David's harp charm it away by sweet discursings. You might as well fight with the mist as with this shapeless, undefinable, yet all beclouding hopelessness. The iron bolt which so mysteriously fastens the door of hope and holds our spirits in gloomy prison. Needs a heavenly hand to push it back. And yet, to a large extent, uh, even if you don't know where these feelings of despair or, or whatever it is are coming from, the answer, I think, is the same. Because as we move to number three in your outline, uh, here is the question. The question that faced the psalmist. How will you respond? 
how will you respond? Right? We all face these hard realities of life. We face feelings that are uncomfortable. We have feelings and desires that well up in us that we don't want. Right? Whether feelings of despair or anger or lust or, or various things, the question is always, will you go along with your feelings? Right? Will you sin? Will you respond as the psalmist does, as the scriptures direct us and give us, give us hope? So here's, here's four points uh, uh, that we can discern from the psalm of response to this. It's hard to say which comes first. These aren't necessarily listed in some kind of chronological or logical order. Uh, but first, the first is acknowledge God's sovereignty. Acknowledge God's sovereignty. To whom do your circumstances belong? I look at verse 7 again. Where the psalmist is describing this, this, these themes of water, how he, he can't get a breath, but he says, Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. Whose waterfalls are they? All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. So he, even when he feels distant from God, he acknowledges this, these are, God is sovereign. God is sovereign over these circumstances. They belong to Him. He is still God. His ways are higher than ours and beyond finding out. God's God's purpose for your life is to bring you to maturity, full maturity in Christ, who suffered as you do. And so even in the deepest pain, we acknowledge His sovereignty, His sovereign power, His, His prerogative, His wisdom. Secondly, Pour out your soul to God. Psalm teaches us to pour out your soul to God. Look at verse 4. These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. God already knows you perfectly, knows you better than you know yourself, and you can be open and honest with Him in everything. You can tell God your doubts and your pains and your questions. Uh, He repeatedly calls us to do that in our pains. Uh, other psalms, Psalm 62, verse 8 says, Trust in Him at all times, people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. It, it's a great comfort to know that we can, by God's own affirmation, we can bring anything to God. We don't have to pretend with God. You're, you're called to joy, you're called to contentment, and yet you don't have to pretend that you're always happy. Um, his love, his attention, his mood toward you don't fluctuate uh, as, as yours do with him. The Psalms give us example and words for that kind of thing over and over again. Um, the psalmist resolves to bring his despair, bring his confusion, bring his questions uh, to God. Uh, look at verse 9, for example. It's kind of oxymoronic. It says, I will say to God, my rock, and you think some great statement of faith is coming, why have you forgotten me? Right? God is his rock, but he brings to God the sense that, that he's forgotten. It's, it's good and right to bring these questions and feelings to God, to the Lord Jesus, who we cannot forget, also ask why of the Father. Right, who poured out his soul in Gethsemane all night long in tears and sweat and grief. Psalm 22 speaks of Jesus, and Jesus used these words on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. 
And we, we always have to balance that with a, a care in the way that we approach God, a reverence, not complaining against God. There's a way to sinfully complain against God. But we come to Him as, as sovereign. Again, there's so many other examples in the Psalms, Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 88, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? So pour out your heart to the Lord. Uh, that's the example of this psalm, many of them. Uh, use the psalms to do that. Uh, God's graciously given us example of, of doing that, of how to do that uh, in the psalms. Uh, there, there are many other you know, great um, songs, modern worship songs, express great truth, and yet what, what they're lacking is, is this very thing. An expression of grief and questioning and depression to God. That there's virtually nothing outside of the, the Psalter for depressed Christians to sing to God in full expression of, of how they're feeling. And, and with their sympathetic Savior, Jesus, who expressed the same things. Um, in fact, to the degree that there are many echoes and adaptations of the psalms and other, other worship music, they're often stripped of this language that God gave us to express grief and deep sorrow and, and um, confusion, almost as if to suggest that, that modern Christians don't suffer. They don't experience despair, don't need words with which to bring those to God. Just one example that really brought this to mind um, is, is a popular and beautiful song. I like it, this, this song. Uh, As the deer. Right? As the deer panteth for the waters, obviously, from Psalm 42. Right? It's a, a beautiful psalm. And that, that line taken from the first verse here. And yet that, that whole song, As the Deer, is entirely stripped of any expression of sorrow or sadness uh, at all. It, it's, it's great as far as it goes, but it, it sort of portrays a, a perfectly contented Christian unexplainedly, uh, ironically, panting for God, longing for God. So my point is simply use and, and appreciate the Psalms, for example, as God's gracious gift and, and example of pouring out your soul um, in full honesty and full grief. Uh, thirdly, a psalm points us to thirst for God and refuse substitutes. Thirst for God and refuse substitutes. You also already mentioned the thirsting in verse 1. Um, it, it, you know, it's thirsting for other things that leaves us parched and unsatisfied and discouraged. Uh, only God can satisfy you. Only Christ and His death and resurrection um, can satisfy you. Uh, the knowledge of Jesus' own willing suffering is a great encouragement and satisfaction. Uh, ought to be, too. In Matthew 26, Jesus said, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Jesus expressed these sorts of things, right, multiple times. I, I'm almost dying of sorrow, Jesus said. Uh, the, the knowledge of his resolve, though, also to continue in the Father's will, um, is a great example to us. In John 12, he said, My soul is troubled, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. There are many 
substitutes for you and I to mask over our pain, um, our dissatisfaction, our loneliness, our uh, feelings of failure, or worthlessness, things that we can grasp onto for satisfaction. They're readily there. There's entertainment, uh, drugs, or sex, or plastic surgery, or food, or we could go on and on uh, with things that can seem to work for a time, but will not last. One uh, interesting place the psalmist here, this is particularly where I'm thinking about this, refuses any substitutes, I think, is verse 6. Look at verse 6 again. This is where he gives evidence of where he is, up by the headwaters of the Jordan, near Mount Hermon. Um, he says that he speaks of the peaks of Hermon from Mount Miser, is how it reads in the NAS here. Now, the, the particular interesting translation question here is, has to do with Mount Miser, because there is no Mount Miser uh, in, in any other source. Mount Miser is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, anywhere else in, in ancient literature or, or anything. If there's a Mount Miser, this is the only mention of it. Um, but, but the challenge in, in, in translating this, uh, you know, in, in the Hebrew text, there are, no, there are no capital letters and punctuation, that kind of thing, to differentiate proper nouns or proper names, um, like we see readily in, in printed modern English, right? So, uh, miser is not capitalized, it's simply the Hebrew word for small. It just means smallness. Um, so it could just as, as legitimately be translated a mountain of smallness, or a small mountain. Okay? So the, the translation difficulty is, it, should this be, a, is this a proper name, or is he just saying small mountain? And I think, I think it's likely that it's, it's the latter. He's saying something about Mount Hermon. He's making an ironic uh, statement of faith relative to Mount Hermon. And it's curious and striking because Mount Hermon was the biggest mountain. Right? Mount Hermon and Mount Lebanon um, were the biggest mountains in, in that whole region of the world. Right? They, they rise farther above the land around than, than Long's Peak does from us. They're, they're very tall mountains in a region where there aren't a lot of very tall mountains. Um, Mount Hermon is, is huge and dominant. It's also sort of like Mount Olympus. Um, elsewhere, it's, it's a center of pagan worship and, and myth about pagan gods and pagan power. It's a center of pagan power and gods. Now, the psalmist is longing to be at Mount Zion. Right? That's where he wants to be. Um, and in the Psalms, Mount Zion is spoken of as this great mountain. In Psalm 48, it's the, the joy of the whole earth, beautiful in elevation. But we talked about this in men's group yesterday. Really, Mount Zion is just a little bump, right? It's not really much of a mountain at all. But the Psalms speak of it as it's like this, this Mount Everest. Because it's God's mountain, right? That's where God particularly meets with his people and reveals himself to and blesses his people. That's where the psalmist wants to be. And, and so he's there right next to Mount Hermon, which in, in a worldly sense offers to him all that the world has to offer. This, this is the center of foreign power. All that foreign gods have to offer. And, and he says, this is a mountain of smallness to me. This is just a small mountain. Uh, I, I desire to be at Mount Zion. And fourthly, fourthly and finally, uh, this psalm teaches us to talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. Verse 5 
the psalmist does just this. He says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. And he repeats that in verse 11. Uh, look at Psalm 43. He repeats it again at the psalm, end of Psalm 43. Uh, these psalms go together, obviously. So the psalmist is not there yet in terms of his feelings. Right, and his emotions, but he's coaching himself based on what he knows to be true, based on what he knows the answer to be. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book on depression that some of you I'm sure are familiar with called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cures. And he comments on, on Psalm 42 at some length in that book. Uh, and he writes this, of the psalmist. He talks to himself rather than letting himself talk to him. You get that? <laughs> A lot of pronouns there. He talks to himself rather than letting himself talk to him. That's what the psalmist is doing. And let, and instead of letting his, his feelings speak to him and dictate to him what is right or what he should do or how he should feel or act, uh, he, he preempts that and speaks truth to himself. And the application for you as a Christian is, is to do the same for yourself, to remind yourself particularly, I would put it this way, to remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Right? Tell yourself of, about your union with Christ. When you aren't feeling these things, you're feeling like the psalmist is here. Tell yourself your love from all eternity in Christ. But remind yourself that you're given a new heart, a new nature, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Remind yourself that you're justified, that you're freely forgiven, that you're totally accepted in Christ. You're adopted as a son or a daughter of God in Christ. Remind yourself that you're an heir of all things. That you're destined for a resurrection to a perfect body and eternal life. What we mean by union with Christ is what's true of Jesus is true of you. Right? As he goes, you go. The love of the Father for him and acceptance of him are yours. That's what we call union with Christ, the most foundational, most important doctrine in the Bible, in the New Testament. Union with Christ. Remind yourself of it. This is what you must speak to yourself before yourself speaks to you. It's, it's often times of deep sadness and struggle that God uses to teach us to treasure our union with Christ. To really understand it and value it. Right? To hope in it and nothing else. Charles Spurgeon again. Uh, Charles Spurgeon suffered enormously uh, through his life. Uh, he suffered with gout and ex uh, excruciating pain from that for many, many years. Up and had to take a break and do nothing for months at a time. Uh, he suffered again with depression throughout his whole adult life. As soon as he got married, his wife uh, was ill and basically in bed for the rest of their marriage until Spurgeon died. Uh, and, and on and on. And here's what Spurgeon says in reflecting <coughs> on that. He says, I dare say the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health. Most of us are thinking, yeah, that makes sense. But he goes on, the, the greatest blessing God can give to any of us is health, with the exception of sickness. I'm afraid that all the grace that I have got of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. 
But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It's the best book in my library. And Spurgeon writes, that, that's, that's from a book called The Anguish and Agonies of Charles Spurgeon. That's not necessarily what you lead with in counseling. Someone who's really struggling and in despair may take a long time to come to believe and know that. And I, for myself and my life, I I can't claim to know what Spurgeon says there experientially um, very much at all in comparison to him or in comparison to, to many of you who have suffered in ways that I have. But God does clearly tell us that he desires to and will glorify himself, especially through our trials and sorrows, that the end of those will be his glory, will be your good. And I want to just close this morning showing you that point from the Apostle Paul. Two, two brief passages from Paul. First from Second Corinthians 12, where Paul tells of some sort of suffering that he had pleaded with God to take away from him over and over again and God said no basically he says he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and Paul reflects therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong and then finally I just want to close with a few of the words you read from 2 Corinthians 4 already this morning where Paul explains that we have this great treasure in Christ and so we're so blessed but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us we are afflicted in every way but not crushed Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. But always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So hope in God, and you will yet praise Him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again this morning for your word uh, from Psalm 42, for the uh, honest portrayal and uh, encouraging portrayal it gives us of uh, the reality of life in a fallen world before the return of Christ. Thank you for the... Uh, model it gives of, of bringing our trouble to you. Uh, more than for Psalm 42, we thank you for Jesus uh, who suffered with us and for us and even beyond what we've suffered to the point of death on the cross. And pray that you would uh, help us to find hope in him always and to share it with each other. And we pray that in his name. Amen.